When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Both on and off the field. Here's Sean Pendergast and Pro Football Hall of Famer, the General Sean McClain. Welcome, welcome to Utopia. Hey, everybody, welcome in. It is the Utopia Football Podcast, a victorious Utopia Football Podcast. The upset—I won't say the upset of the weekend because the Cardinals just got done doing the Cowboys here in the late window of games. But we're a few hours removed from the Texans in their huge 37-17 win over the defending AFC South champion Jacksonville Jaguars in Jacksonville today. And uh, 37-17, the final score. I'm Sean Pendergast, one half of Payne and Pendergast on Sports Radio 610. Joined, as always, by my good friend, the Hall of Famer, our senior columnist at SportsRadio610.com, John McClain. And, John, um, this was... uh, I, I, I'm, I, I don't know what to say. There were so many big plays in this game, and so many times the Texans answered the bell in this game and held kind of Jacksonville at arm's length all day long by making big plays. But my my initial reaction was I was really happy for D'Amico Ryans, especially after seeing the celebration in the locker room afterwards. The affection for him is very, very evident. Um, but that was – that was a uh, that was a tough week this past week for D'Amico on the heels of that Indianapolis game, and to see the Texans come out the way they did today um, makes me feel makes me feel like I, I feel good about D'Amico, anyways. But that's one where you go, okay, well, that's you know, whatever we were feeling last week about him, the enthusiasm we have for D'Amico absolutely should still exist, and the guys are believing in what he was telling them all week long. First, I like to say it's good at least one Houston team. One and didn't stink it up like the Astros did, getting swept at home by the Royals. So the Texans go on the road. And it's not just Miko. Bobby Slowick had gotten a lot of criticism. Bobby Slowick, Matt Burke, defensive coordinator, and Frank Ross, who always does a great job with the special teams. I gave special teams an A plus on my report card that's on sportsradio610.com. And I thought the coaching staff did a tremendous job in every phase. Out coach Doug Peterson and the Jaguars, something awful. D'Amico waited four games for his first win as a player, nine games for his first win as assistant coach, and his third game as a head coach. So his his path to success happened quicker as a head coach. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's, I like that. I like that. I like those numbers right there, John. Good. That's in the lead on my column. I'm okay. glad you like it. Excellent. No, I do. I do like that. Um, I guess just to, you know, if we're breaking down this game and we'll do stock up and stock down individual stuff in just a little bit. Um, but I, to me, the, there were a lot of big plays in this game, obviously a lot of huge swing plays in this game, because the fact of the matter is the Texans defense didn't really stop Jacksonville all day long. Yeah, you know, they only gave up 17 points, but there were a couple missed field goals. Obviously, the turnovers. Um, but Jacksonville, like Jacksonville, didn't punt very much in this game. You know, the Texans either had to force mistakes or Jacksonville they themselves made mistakes in this game. 
I just loved early in the game that the Texans, who it started about as poorly as it could have started for them. I mean, this really, John, this game started with a series of plays at the beginning of the game that felt like the carryover from the Indianapolis game. Mike Boone returning a, a kickoff out of his own end zone to the 12-yard line. Then they go three and out. And then they they interfere with the punt returner. And the, the, the Jags are starting with the ball at uh, – the Jags are starting with the ball near midfield. Texans force a missed field goal. That, but then on the second series, the, the, the Tank Dell 43-yard rainbow from C.J. Stroud, to me, was the – like that was the, the analogy I made on the postgame show. Like that was Rocky Four. That was Rocky drawing blood on Ivan Drago. You know, like that was, that was like – that was the message to Jacksonville. Like, okay, that's that team you watched on film – the last, you know, of us playing the last couple of weeks, that's not going to be us today. You know, we're not going to shoot ourselves in the foot. We're going to answer adversity. And I thought that that tank Dell and then punching it in with Damian Pierce, I thought that was a great early statement. And then the fact that they were able to kind of just keep it at a two score game for most of the day, um, I thought really kept a lot of game pressure on Jacksonville, but tank Dell was absolutely massive in this game today. I got so tired of hearing other teams talking about Mouncers saying, well, this team's got this number of starters out. Texans counting Tavier Thomas, their slot corner who starts 70% of the time. They were missing eight starters, including four on each side of the ball. And I thought Trevor Lawrence going against three backups in the secondary, and he didn't have any sacks, that he would have been able to throw the ball better. But overall, they made big plays. A guy like Blake Cashman came up big. A lot of players made timely plays under extenuating circumstances sellout crowd there they've now won six in a row on the road against the jaguars including in london in 2019 and they've won 10 of the last 11 and trevor lawrence is one and four against the texans so it sounds like a cliche to say they played well in all three phases but they did and we'll hear i'm sure complimentary Football, I hate hearing that, but we'll hear it, and it's true. And they did get big plays on in each three, each of the three phases of the game. And so I'm curious now. I I feel better about Pittsburgh coming to town. Got to watch Pittsburgh this week. But the fact that Stroud didn't get sacked that was a big deal. And I can't imagine D'Amico Ryan's going. If if Baltimore hadn't stunk it up at home, Texans would be tied for first place. Yeah, a four-way one and two tie. Just a bunch of fat kids on the hey, playground. You're the one fighting. that mentioned first place two weeks ago. Hey, man. I know. <laughs> hey, no, I'm not. I, I'm not here to hate on it, John. I wish it was the case. I was rooting hard in here for Lamar Jackson to convert that fourth and three at midfield that Jim that uh, that John Harbaugh decided to go for in that game. I, I'm sure we're going to talk about C.J. Stroud more and stock up and stock down. But I guess, John, like, what are your thoughts? On this, this again was a building on a performance. He's gotten better with each game so far. He's done something. There's there are certain things that he either didn't do well or he needed to improve on. And I feel like in every game he's built and improved. And he's gotten better with each game. Um, I, I guess from the standpoint of like the the explosiveness they showed today with Tank Dell and just CJ just being in total command out there. Like how how real does this feel to you, especially with Pittsburgh coming to town next week? When I think of Alex Highsmith and T.J. Watt, you know, they – they Jaguars had Josh Allen and uh, the guy, Trevon Walker, who was the first overall pick last year, but certainly hadn't 
played like it. And they only gave up four hits on a quarterback, three by Allen. But that's the main thing about the Steelers. Their defense is great, and they have a great pass rush. And the Texans got good pass protection. On the long pass to Tank Dell, the first one that jump-started the offense, that one, he had time to throw. He had time to wait till Dell got beat, and he got laid it in perfectly. And there, I think there were three guys trying to get back and cover Dell. And you know now, with that one in the 68-yarder, the Steelers and every other opponent, they're going to start worrying about Tank Dell. They worried today about Nico Collins, and they didn't. They were going to take Nico out. He had a big 29-yard reception at the end of the first half, set up a field goal to make it 17-0. But they've showed now the position that we were so worried about, big play wide receivers, they got two of them. And then Robert Woods is very dependable. And, and the coaches – and it's not just Bobby Sloat and quarterback coach Gerard Johnson, Shane Day, and uh, Bill Lazor, senior offensive assistants. You know, C.J. mentioned them, at, all four of them, after the game as coaches who work with him, but they're doing a tremendous job, and they got to have a lot of confidence. Whatever they teach him, they got confidence that he's going to take it out to the field and do well. Yeah, no, no doubt about that. Um, all right, so Texans win today 37-17 over the Jags. I guess, John, just last thing on this game, and maybe in general, before we get to four stock up and four stock down, individual accolades for the game today, or maybe around the league, we might mix some in. Like you said before we started recording, it's hard to find stock down for the Texans today. Everybody played pretty well in this win. Um, I don't know. Like Jacksonville's not looked good these first couple weeks of the season. They beat the Colts in week one in a game that they trailed for most of that game against Anthony Richardson, mind you. Um, and then last week they, they scored nine points against Kansas city. They lost 17 to nine to the chiefs at home. And then obviously today they lose by 20 to a team that most experts consider to be one of the bottom five teams in football. The Jags were thought to be the clear favorite in this division coming into the season. I know it's only three weeks, but how wide open do you think this division could potentially be? It's very interesting, Sean. I said this on 610 a couple of times last week and maybe on the Utopia football podcast. The Colts would be better off uh, as far as winning games with the mustache. with Gardner uh, Minshew, yes. Minshew in because he's won a lot of games. And then Bryce Young's out. Who, who wins? Andy Dalton. So those guys are experienced quarterbacks. That's not who they want. But I think the quicker the rookies get back, the better off it'll be for the other teams in the division. And the fact the Titans got killed at Cleveland. Deshaun Watson played great. They didn't need Nick Chubb. The running game of the Titans was terrible. They looked like a last-place team. And then Jacksonville looks like a last-place team. And Indy pulled it out. But I'm, it's early to say it's wide open. But you know what? Right now, the Jaguars aren't necessarily the best team. They may be tied to be the best team, but Indy's leading the division. It's going to be fun. Not with, not like great fun with the teams playing really well, like some division, but you know, it could be like uh, what's going on in the AL West. You got three teams that are close that are competing and maybe it'll come down to the end of the season and the division winner will win seven or eight games. You never know. You never know, but this, I'm, I'm not impressed with Jacksonville so far. I will no. say that. All right. Uh, let's do it. Four stock up, four stock down. 
And then uh, let's start to get ready for week four here as Pittsburgh comes to town. John, the uh, the floor is yours. We do four stock up, four players or storylines, whatever the case, that are pointed in the upward direction. Then we'll do four stock down on players and such that are moving in the opposite direction. Uh, we start with the stock up. The floor is yours, John. Who's your first one? Sean, I don't. There's there's a lot that I could say that that would be better than this, but I feel like after the way I've ripped them so much and given them Fs and everything, the offensive line with four starters out, including Laramie Tunsil again, they they had their best day rushing, 86 yards, and yes, a lot of it was mock up mop up at the end of the game, but it's still 86 yards. And you may think people, oh, they only rushed for 86 yards. They were averaging 62. And the fact that that C.J. Stroud was hit only four times after 19 hits in the first two games, no sacks after 11 sacks in the first two games, I think the offensive line collectively should take a bow because we saw when he had some time what he's capable of doing. So mine is the offensive line. And the new coach, Chris Strasser, he's got to, boy, he's got to be breathing a big sigh of relief. Absolutely. I, John, it was funny on the post-game show. We just got done doing Clint Sterner and I. Josh Jones's uncle called into the post-game show. <laughs> and he was saying specifically to me, because he's been listening to me rip the offensive line and probably Josh all week long. He's like, hey, man, when are you going to give him some praise, man? Like, they didn't give up any sacks. Like, you, you know, you're you going to sit there and criticize. And we had already praised the offensive line. I think he wanted me to single out Josh and give him some praise. Yeah. And I I, um, I didn't cave too much. I mean, I gave the line their props again. But I pointed out to him, I said, he is a professional athlete. And this is the job that I'm in. I can't just sit here and not criticize people because their family lives in Houston and roots for the Texans. So, um but uh, yeah, it was much better today. The running was, you know, the running was what it was, and the run, the running game is going to be what it is, I think, until they get their full complement or at least a, a, a better complement of guys. Their two tackles, maybe more than anything else, once they get them back. But that was encouraging to see that to see that Bobby Slowick, who even though the Texans were leading all game long, they never trailed in this game. I still felt like he put the game on C.J. Stroud more than he did the running game. It felt like the running game was more a compliment to C.J. than vice versa. And he wasn't doing that last week. Even down three touchdowns against the Colts, he was still leaning on the running game, even though they couldn't move the ball on the ground. So I I do feel like they've kind of found something where if they can just – if they can grind out a few yards on the ground just to make the other team respect it a little bit, that the offensive line might be able to hold up. Now, this this week, you know – it's Ooh. this is a tough one. Yeah, no, this, Smith. yeah, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Um, so yeah, offensive line is is a good one. I'm gonna go Tank Dell, John. We had Tank Dell on the post game show here. Uh, he he is somebody who has gotten open basically since he set foot on the practice field at training camp this year. Always open at practice in joint practices, uh, in preseason games, and now in regular season games. John, he had five catches today, and they were all important. You know, they, they had the two he had the two deep shots, obviously, but the, the first deep shot setting up the first touchdown, as I mentioned earlier, I felt that was the one that the Texans could breathe a little bit. I, it was a really well-thrown ball by, by CJ into a group of three guys, dropped it in the bucket to tank. It was great concentration and tracking by tank on that play. And, and then the the one the 68-yard touchdown, and this to me, maybe this is a combo stock up. Maybe I'm sprinkling Bobby Slowick in here tangentially in this whole thing. That was a third and three with about nine minutes to go in regulation with the Texans up by 10. 
and they were at their own 32-yard line. And I promise you that the last at least three head coaches or play callers would not have been calling deep shots to a wide receiver on third and three up 10. They would have they would have done something that either guaranteed the clock kept moving or a much more conservative play call. I give Bobby Slowick credit. I give Tank Dell credit. I give C.J. Stroud credit. Tank Dell especially. Clint pointed this out in the postgame show. You know, Tank was originally looking over his right shoulder for that ball, and where C.J. threw it and put a lot of air under it, he had to turn, you know, and, and kind of, you know, get his head on a swivel and get turned around and keep eyes on the ball to his left. It was a really nice adjustment by Tank, but just so wide open. And even the other plays he had, John, that weren't deep shots, you know, the third and five that they had to review uh, just before the half to keep that drive going a little bit. Um, and then there was another third down catch that he had. What a find he's been in the third round. What I mean, what a great day. You know, what a great day for the rookie class. You know, and, and I don't want to name too many specific names because you might have them in stock up. But they had five, at least five rookies contributing heavy today to this win. And one of them was Jared Patterson, the center, who never gets any love but has not had one mishandled snap. We see that all the time in the NFL yep. in exchange. And he was playing guard throughout training camp, and he's done a pretty good job. And I wonder, I'm guessing Josh Jones will be the left guard uh, when everybody's back and Kendrick Green, unless Kendrick Green keeps that position. But do you know that Tank Dell has just set a team record for uh, yards by Texans rookie receiver in his first three games, hmm. surpassing Andre Johnson. And today he set a team record for most yards receiving by a rookie uh, surpassing Andre Johnson. So Tank Dell has written his name into the Texans rookie record book. I love it. I love it. He's a really good player, John. They've got that receiving room. Whatever concerns or whatever sort of uh, shade they were getting thrown at them by experts saying this is one of the worst receiving rooms in football, that's just flat out wrong. It's not. It's it, Nico Collins is a good receiver. Tank Dell is an explosive playmaker. Robert Woods is a dependable vet. John Mechie got involved today a couple of times. That was good to see. See John Mechie get his hands on the ball. So um, I like this receiving core, and I like what CJ's doing with them. What's your next stock up, John? Yeah, I was thinking experts like us. Um, my next one is the guy who made the biggest play who is on all the highlight shows, will make Sports Center top 10, I'm guessing, and he's going to get more love on one play than Stroud and Tank, and that is Andrew Beck, the fullback, who's got no business returning a kickoff. He got in the way of the returner at the, at the 10, and then he dropped it, and he picked it up at the, at the 15, and I'm thinking, just fall on it. Maybe you won't fumble if you get tackled. And he broke, I went back and watched it. He broke five tackles going across the field and down the right sideline. And I kept thinking, well, he's out of bounds. He's out of bounds. And Jacksonville did a terrible job of tackling Andrew Beck, who's a fullback. And it was, it was, we've never, I've seen a lot of kickoff returns and I've seen a few taken back for touchdowns of the Texans, but never by a fullback who doesn't have speed, but somehow got down the right sideline, breaking every tackle, and that was, it, it just changed the complexion of the game. It was 17-10. to 10. I thought, sure, the Jaguars were going to come back, and then here's Andrew Beck. Last week, a lot of people wanted Nick Casario to be fired because he drafted two guys, Derek Stingley Jr. and Kenyon Green, who've been hurt. 
And so now O'Neill's looking pretty good this week with his rookies and free agent signings like Andrew Beck. He is for sure, for sure. Uh, Clint and I got a stat sent to us by Aaron Raybould, our tech, the Texans engineer on the road games. He's part of our team here at Sports Radio 610. A uh, little factoid for you, John. Andrew Beck at 255 pounds is the heaviest player with a kickoff return for a touchdown of at least 50 yards in NFL history. Wow. Yeah. That is unbelievable. <clears throat> of at least 50 yards because, you know, sometimes you get those hands guys that scoop up an onside kick and take it back yeah. uncontested. So he actually had one where he had to, you know, kind of look at all the chicanery going on in front of him, get to the edge, and then use that explosive speed of his up the sidelines. <laughs> Whoever that last Jaguar was that took that angle on him, like, you, dude, you, you're faster than him. You could angle him out of bounds. He's diving at his legs. And and Beck kicked his legs up. He was high stepping at one point, John. You got to ask Frank Ross now. Beck's going to be back on the goal line from now on, right? I I asked Tank Dell that. I I said, hey Tank. I said I know it's a kickoff return, not a punt return. But is Beck over there getting in Frank Ross's ear, seeing if he can take some of your take some of your snaps at punt return, see if they can stick him back there, number forty-seven. <laughs> he laughed. Um, all right, uh, last stock up for me, John. Let's go. Uh, we've we've hit we've hit Dell. We've hit the offensive line. We hit special teams. We got to make sure the defense gets some love in here. So I'm going to throw Blake Cashman in here. Uh, two huge plays in this game. He had the fumble recovery uh, off the Eric Murray uh, uh, hit on Agnew right before the half. Set the Texans up to go down and get a field goal, and then the interception, which. You know, John, you were at every practice like I was during training camp. That's what Blake Cashman was doing during training camp until he got hurt. He, the only thing that stopped him in training camp was injury. He was first string linebacker on the depth chart, and then he suffered that hamstring injury, and he was out for forever, it felt like, for pretty much all the preseason games as well as the um, as well as the first you know couple regular season. I don't know if he played last week or not. He, you know, he didn't get in very much. But with Denzel Perryman out, they slide Henry Toa Toa to the Mike linebacker, put the green decal on his helmet, and in comes Blake Cashman to play, I guess, the Sam linebacker. He was great today. Um, he's a really good athlete, John. I mean, there was that one play where he got matched up with Calvin Ridley that Ridley dropped the touchdown pass early in the game. You don't want that to be the case, obviously. You don't want Blake Cashman covering Calvin Ridley. But I'll say this for a guy who's kind of a kind of sort of bulky linebacker, he was running pretty well with Calvin Ridley on that play. You know, again, I wouldn't put him on Calvin Ridley, but he was running with him pretty decent. Um, but the two turnovers were huge in this game. Absolutely immense. They came at the perfect time. There's never a bad time for it, but especially the interception, John, like that, that came at the perfect time, right? When they need, you know, Jacksonville was kind of starting to feel themselves a little bit there um, in the second half and starting to score some points. And so I'm going to give Cashman his love. I think that's great. That diving yeah. interception he made where he laid out like a outfielder running and chasing a, a fly ball on a line drive. There's not a wide receiver could have made a better play on this team on that because nope. it was just tremendous. And I don't know how long Perryman's going to be out, but Toa Toa had, was in on 10 tackles, six unassisted. Yeah. And they got to feel good about the way the defense played. I mean, it's amazing. They had Graylon Arnold, Kadar Holman. Steven Nelson's played really well, and he's been playing well through the first two games, and he made some big plays. And they finally got a tackle for loss. They have won in their last two games. Five hits on a quarterback, two by Will Anderson, who had that big punt block, and then two by Malik 
Collins is not a pass rusher, but that thing about not getting a tackle for loss was driving me crazy. Yeah. And now they finally have one in two games. All right. Stock down, John. Let's do four stock downs and then uh, call it a day. What do you got? I, I got a good one. And I'm going to go outside to Texan because it's hard to find one. You know, we could talk about the tight ends, but they're not throwing the ball to the tight ends much. They, you know, Brevin Jordan had a touchdown pass, but they're using the wideouts and they should use the wideouts. But I tweeted right near the end of the game. I wonder if Nathaniel Hackett, the offensive coordinator of the Jets, is telling anybody that the Broncos have one of the worst coaching jobs he's ever seen and turn the tide like Sean Payton did to him because Sean Payton is 0-3. They've had clock management issues just like Hackett, and today they suffered, suffered one of the most embarrassing losses in NFL history, and I don't feel sorry for him a bit. And you know Hackett would never say anything, although when the coordinators have to talk this week, I'm wondering if somebody might bring that up to him, and he won't respond. But you know behind the scenes, Sean, he had to take – some some glee rubbing his hands oh. glee, seeing what happened to Sean Payton a hundred percent John they almost gave up a record number of points in an NFL game today. fans were chanting for it oh unbelievable yeah it was I love seeing that I I've just I've lost so much respect for Sean Payton with the way he handled this coaching search and all the the back channel stuff he was doing through Cowherd and and just the the interview you just talked about that he did with I forget who the outlet was where he was you know, saying all the bad things about Nathaniel Hackett, which I honestly, USA if he were, Today, yeah. it was USA Today. That's right. Yeah. Like if he were, you know, if he were on Fox saying these things then we would go, yeah, that's pretty good analysis. You're the head coach of the team. You just replace the guy, like show some class. Low so, cl- he did show some class and it was all third. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, John, as long as we're doing stock down here, I mean, you mentioned the tight ends. I'm going to throw Dalton Schultz in there. You know, Dalton Schultz should have had a touchdown catch today. Uh, on the on one of the drives where they had to settle for a field goal, uh, C.J. Stroud made a, a I thought a decent throw into the end zone that I thought Dalton Schultz should have had in this game. Dalton Schultz is still invisible out there, and, and you know maybe I shouldn't you know they're they're finding ways to move the ball through the air, um, but so far the entirety of the Dalton Schultz experience I hate to say this because he seems like a great dude I really enjoy listening to him talk and enjoy him in interviews and whatnot I was hoping for big things I, I said during the off season that was the name that when all the breaking news is coming out about free agent signing, that was the name that made me kind of sit up and go, oh, okay, well, people are really like thinking differently about the Texans. I know it was only a one-year deal, but maybe even more so that it was a one-year deal that Dalton Schultz, who seemingly, I would guess, wants to prove himself so he can get a bigger deal down the road, would choose to come to the Texans. And he's just been he's been kind of a just a big nothing so far. So I'm an invisible man. Yeah, I, I mean, maybe... I, I guess maybe he doesn't belong in stock down because his stock is already way, way down to begin with. But I, the fact that he had a chance to make a play today and didn't make that play puts him in stock down for me. It's obvious from listening to C.J. Stroud, he really likes Brevin Jordan. He talked about him without being asked, and he mentioned two or three times about how much he's helped him, what a good guy he is. So if I'm Schultz, I'm thinking, hmm, you know, if I'm he, he's going to be on the field over me, he's going to get more – balls but that's because he hasn't come through now my next one let me get out a violin here hold on a minute let me i'm gonna play a sad song okay all my all my friends told me last week who are cowboy fans they're going to super bowl they're two and oh 
and uh, they're going to roll over Arizona, which I thought they would. Now the Cowboys are two and one. Everybody wants Dak Prescott benched. They want Mike McCarthy fired because they humiliated themselves at Arizona. And uh, I love it. I do too, John. I do too, even though it's at the hands of one of the corniest people that I've ever seen, Jonathan Gannon. Credit Jonathan Gannon. That team is one and two, but they are a much more impressive one and two than the Texans one and two. Yeah. And this is not me throwing cold water on today. No, today was great. They beat Jacksonville. Arizona could be three and zero oh right now. They could. They 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 were leading Washington for most of that game in Week One. They had a huge lead on was it the Giants last week that that came back against them? Yep. I think twenty-eight zero. Yep, and, and they blew that lead. Um, you know, John, credit Jonathan Gannon. I mean, that's a team that looked like they were tearing it down to the studs to tank. Um, I guess my hope here's my hope with with Arizona, honestly, John, is that they win like I don't know, like six games this year, but that the Texans also win like six or seven games this year. And all those mock drafts that had the Cardinals picking one and two and celebrating Monty Austin for it, like he was just like just discovered plutonium or something because he got a trade with the Texans done and he's going to, he's going to get to pick Caleb Williams and Marvin Harrison. I want both the Texans and the Cardinals to win. Well, I want the Texans to win every week, obviously, but I want the Cardinals to win like six or seven games. So their first pick kind of floats around the edge of the top 10 and that the Texans win their requisite number of games, you know, let's just call like the Vegas number, like six or seven. And that the Cardinals, you know, it's nice to have two first-round picks, but you ain't getting Caleb Williams with the ninth and the 13th pick or something like that. That's what I want to have. I retweeted something you tweeted about feeling bad that you wanted the Texans to get Bryce Young. I'm sure a lot of people feel that way. Do you have another one that's obvious? If not, I'd like you to give it to me because it's going to be close to home for you or I got to get an extra one. Okay. No. uh, Well, the the only one I was going to do, and this maybe is a broader topic, I was going to go stock down on the Texans near-term schedule of opposing quarterbacks. If you want to feel good about the Texans chances in some of these games coming up, John, I feel like you could make an argument that CJ Stroud, forget about how he is for, for a rookie. I think you could argue he's just a flat out better quarterback than Kenny Pickett, Desmond Ritter. You know, we'll see who starts for the saints. If it's Jameis or Derek Carr, it's probably a reach at this point to say he's better than Derek Carr. Um, Andy Dalton or Bryce Young, I would say C.J. Stroud's better than both of them. Baker Mayfield's played well so far, so we'll put him off to the side. Joe Burrow's injured, but but then it's Josh Dobbs. It's Trevor Lawrence again. It's Russell Wilson. It's Zach Wilson. It's whatever crappy quarterback is playing for the Titans for a couple of games. Deshaun Watson finally had one good game for the Cleveland Browns, and then Indianapolis in Week 18. I mean, John, if C.J. Stroud continues to progress, if he plays what he, if he is what he's been these first three games – he is better than like half of these guys for sure. Absolutely. And so they could win more games maybe than we think. We'll see. So that's my, my stock down is a happy one. It is the crappy quarterbacks on the Texans schedule this year. Do your bonus one, John. Uh, Let me start off by saying I picked Baylor to get blown away, blown out by Texas and they Mm -hmm. did. So it didn't surprise me, Mm -hmm. but the biggest play, of the Ohio State Notre Dame game. Yeah. At the end of the game, and Notre Dame had 10 players on defense. And when Ohio State subbed, they could have subbed, but either they didn't know to or they just blew it. And where the guy would have been is where they ran the ball. You've got to be crushed about that. Yeah. I don't, 
Yeah, I mean, I am. I, I don't get as crushed as I used to about my college team. Like, I mean, I was mad last. I was more angry than crushed about it because it was just so silly and stupid. And I didn't like Marcus Freeman's explanation of it either. Oh, His explanation was awful. Um, so, yeah, I uh, yeah, I'm, I'm more angry than I am crushed by it. But uh, and I feel bad for the kids. It wasn't just that sequence of plays, John. The coaches for Notre Dame failed those kids on some of the play calls that they had they in that game. Won that game. Absolutely could have won that game. John, they were the better football team. They, they, yeah. they were the better football team over 60 minutes. Um, but so many different ways. You know, just the 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 playing soft coverage towards the end that allowed Abuka to get the catch that got it to the one to begin with. When you got a freshman quarterback in there, you can heat him up. Um, yeah, I mean, I you know, I think the honeymoon had been over for Marcus Freeman already with a few of the losses he had last year. Some bad losses. He ended the season strong, won the bowl game and everything. Um, and I still think they're a good football team. You know, they, they, they play USC and well, they play Duke this week, which is a harder game than people thought it was going to be at the beginning of the year. And then they play USC at home and they play at Clemson later this year. And that's pretty much it. I mean, they should win 10 games probably. Um, if they win 11, then depending on, you know, who the, who the, well, they, if they win 11, it means the only loss is to Ohio state. So 11 and one might get it done, especially this year. This is a weird year, John. It's a weird year. I mean, I. this is one of those years where it's like, okay, 12 teams might be too many for the college football playoff in the future. You know what I mean? Are well, you like saying if, Baylor's got a chance? I'm, in the future they do, John. Not this year. I don't think they're going to be one of the four best teams, but maybe in a 12-team playoff That's right, someday. I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> it's only four teams this year. Uh, well, thank you, John, for bringing that up in stock down, letting me relive Notre Dame losing to Ohio State again. I appreciate it just blew that. me away. I read a great column in The Athletic about it. Pete Sampson thing. And uh, I can't remember who it was, but it just broke it all down. And I'm thinking, man, oh, man, the fans got to be just obliterated. It, and it just blew me away. It was Pete Sampson. He he covers the Notre Dame beat. I read that article and I it, and it, it was the article that he took Ryan Day to task for, you know, cutting that wrestling promo on Lou Holtz after the game. I'm sure you saw that. Yeah. Um, he, Pete Sampson kind of pointed this out. He's like, dude, the fact that you're letting Lou Holtz get under your skin kind of proves Lou Holtz's point that you're a little soft and thin skin. Does it not? You know, you were running wide receiver end arounds on fourth and one. Does that not prove the point? you, you, you muscled up and punched in a touchdown on the final play where a, an 11th defender was not like you didn't, I could have blocked that play. There was nobody in front of, you know, so it was, yeah, I, there's a lot of coming out of that game, John, where I was very frustrated on both sides. Yeah, I'm but sorry to bring it up. That's okay. That's that's what the Utopia podcast. If we can't break balls, John, what can we do? We're buddies. It's all good. Yeah. Uh, all right. So uh, you got your report card up on sportsradio610.com. I've got a column about D'Amico not waiting as long as a head coach as he did as a player and assistant coach and uh, all about Stroud and his performance. And I'm going to have an Astros column tomorrow about how they've stunk it up and they're just going to lose the rest of their games. And then I'll start doing the Texans again on Wednesday. Brutal. Oh, the Astros are brutal. Not your articles. Your articles are awesome, John. Those are not brutal. Um, yeah, you're welcome. All right, good stuff. Uh, John, I enjoyed it as always. We'll do it again on Tuesday. We'll I look forward to it. Can't wait. Can't wait. So the Texans get a win, people. Things are moving in the right direction. Steelers week, J.J. Watt week. We'll have plenty to talk about with that as well as – uh, J.J. Watt gets ready to go into the Ring of Honor at NRG Stadium next weekend. So uh, for our producer, James Jackson, 
who gets this podcast out to all of you. My reminder, click that subscribe button if you have not already so that you get the podcast sent to you automatically. We appreciate that. We appreciate everybody who's been downloading and listening to it. Today's a fun day to listen to the podcast after a, a big victory over Jacksonville. So big thanks to James for getting you the podcast. For John McClain and James Jackson, I'm Sean Pendergast. We are out of time. We will see all of you on Tuesday. H-O-U mailbag at gmail.com if you want to get us a mailbag question. H-O-U mailbag at gmail.com. This has been the Utopia Football Podcast. Texans win 37-17 over the Jags. We'll see you later this week, everybody.